I'm going to do a quick uh, introduction today to the book of Ephesians. Uh, it's up on the screen there. There's the title. Um, because over the next few weeks, I would like us to look at uh, the book of Ephesians, or really over the next couple of months, interspersed by other speakers. We've got other people coming to share in the life of the church. So I'm really looking forward to that. I hope you are too. Um, I hope you're also looking forward to, to reading through Ephesians. Um, but just before I start, I heard this story about, um, you know, a, a mother who went in to wake up her son. And she, she says, wake up, son, it's time to go to church. And he says, but why? I don't want to go. Give me two reasons you don't want to go. He says, well, nobody likes me for one, and the elders don't like me either. You give me two reasons why I should go. She says, well, for one, you're 51 years old, and for another, you're the pastor. <laughs> so... So here he is today, the pastor of the church, after, let me just say, a challenging week. It's been a challenging week. I've personally found this a challenging week. It's been an emotional roller coaster this week. Um, it's not been an easy week. Um, but here we are. We're in church, and we're here to give praise to him. You see, the church belongs to Jesus. It's his design. He's building it, and he is sustaining it. He's the head of the church, and it's his mechanism for reaching a lost world with the good news. And I believe that good news includes the message of reconciliation with God, getting ourselves right with God again, and it also includes a message for those who are in need. And often that message is best said with actions and not with words. That's why we do things like food bank. That's why we do things like cap money course, to help people at the place where they need that help, but also to be able to share Jesus with people. We read about the, the beginnings of the church. It's Genesis, if you like, in the book of Acts. And we read that uh, together at the start of the year. Um, and I referred to it as the Acts of the Holy Spirit, of uh, the Spirit of Christ working in and through the apostles. You see, it's a message of salvation for the individual and for the soul, but it's also a message of salvation for the community. We are the church, the body of Christ, of which he is the head. We are the church. If you're a Christian in here today, then we are the church. God doesn't have a plan B for reaching this world. We are his plan A. Think about that for a little second. If we bail out on plan A, then God has to find somebody else, and he will work through others. But he is the head of the church. He's the one who has given it direction. You know, the, the, the Bible talks about him being the, the chief cornerstone, the head of the corner. And if Jesus says about himself that we are the church, we are the body of Christ, of which he is the head, remember that Jesus, whilst he was on earth, was the very expression of the Father. Jesus says, if you want to know what God's like, look at me. I wonder if we as the church can say, if, if you want to know what God's like, Look at us. There's a challenging thought. So today I want to begin a series on a series of messages in the book of Acts. Uh, the book of Acts. It's up on the screen, right? The book of Ephesians, okay? Sorry, I'm back in the, the, the spring of the year there. Um, and it's, it's a book which was written probably around 28 to 30 years after Jesus ascension. And today, you should have received on the way in uh, a reading plan. Uh, it looks something like this. 
just to explain, uh, if, if it needs explanation, uh, this is date here. So this is the week we're just about to go into. This is today. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Do you know that song? Yeah. Tempted to get the guitar up and play it. Uh, okay. Okay, I won't. It's okay. Fine, I was just kidding. Uh, so this is the week we're going to go into. So I'm encouraging us to read through the book of Ephesians. It's only six chapters. You can read through that in a week really easily. Also to read Acts 19 and Acts 20, uh, where Ephesians is talked, the, the church at Ephesus is talked about. Um, and to really be aware that as we're reading that, um, Ephesians really breaks down into two halves. So chapters 1 to 3 are more kind of theological, doctrinal in nature. They tell us about uh, who we are in Christ. And then chapters 4 to 6 are more practical in nature. Uh, and so they, they really talk about um, our, how, how we should live as, as Christians. Uh, so, so next Sunday, for example, we'll be talking about our possessions in Christ but then breaking it down that week into to various kind of small chunks with a little thought, uh, something to kind of try and meditate on when you're reading uh, those smaller chunks. This isn't to replace your daily devotional, it's to add to your daily devotional. So I'm giving you more work to do, more homework, but I hope uh, that as we do that, that it's of benefit to you. So if you didn't get one of them, pick one up uh, at the back of the church. And today really is just a time to take a wee walk through this book of Ephesians. Um, and just to think about what it's trying to say to us in its entirety. Um, we will begin to break it down over the next few weeks. Um, so hopefully we'll really benefit from that. And the author of this book is Paul. Uh, it's a, he's identified as the author at the start of the book. And uh, we read that in the opening uh, verses. And it's a, lit a letter which was written uh, from prison. We read about that in Acts 28, uh, verse 16 to 31, sometime between AD 60 and 62. And it's referred to as one of the prison epistles, along with other books like Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. So Paul was, Paul was in prison when he wrote this. He was not, he didn't have his own freedom, uh, but he probably had this desire to be in the church at Ephesus and go around and visit the churches but because he was detained, he couldn't do that. So he thought, I'm going to write to the church. I've got a message that I need to share with them. This gives you an idea of where Ephesus is, by the way. Barbara, you're straining your eyes to see it, okay? So this is Paul's second missionary journey. We looked at that slide when we looked at Acts, and this is one of the places where he stopped, okay? It's just up there because they didn't want people looking at that screen with all the words on it, okay? So who's he writing to? We need to think always about the context of what we're reading in the Scriptures. Context is so, so important. It's important in our lives as well. Context, the bigger picture of what's happening. And it says in the opening text that it's addressed to the church at Ephesus, which you can see, you can see where that is. But there's an argument that says, um, but we're not going to dwell on the argument, but there's an argument that says that it was a, a cyclical letter to be read in, in various churches. And during Paul's second missionary journey, which is what you can see on the screen, we read uh, of a church, uh, a fledgling church in Ephesus. It says in Acts 18 and 19, they arrived in Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. They stayed there and the church began to develop. Later on, we read that Paul returned to Ephesus as part of his third missionary journey. We'll not put that slide up. Um, but we read about that in Acts chapter 19, 
which is why I encourage us to read Acts 19 and 20. It gives us the context of where Ephesians is coming from this book. In Acts 19, we read about disciples being baptized in the Spirit. Paul came along and he met some people and he says, what baptism have you received? And he says, well, we've only received John's baptism. And we read how Paul placed his hands on them and they were filled with the Spirit. Do you know, some of us need to be filled with the Spirit. Sorry to go back into Acts again, but some of us need to be filled with the Spirit. Why? I don't know about you, I can go back to a time where I was baptized in the Spirit, where the Holy Spirit came upon me, I spoke in tongues, but you leak, it leaks away. We've got to keep being fed, we've got to keep being filled, and being filled with the the Spirit, if you look at the language of the text where we read that, it talks about being an ongoing process, and we need to be filled with the Spirit. Maybe some people have never experienced that before. Can I encourage you to press in to experience the things of the Spirit? If you've never experienced being filled with the Spirit, being baptized in the Spirit, pray to God and ask God to come and baptize you in the Spirit. I'm hearing stories about people being baptized in the Spirit who don't go to Pentecostal churches. But they just have a desire for God and they're seeking after God. And God's coming and He's just coming upon them like a flood. And they've been filled with the Spirit and all sorts of things are happening. And they're not in Pentecostal churches. We kind of think we've got all this exclusive stuff going on. <laughs> no, it's His church. And He's building His church and He's sustaining it and He's equipping it. Paul stayed in Ephesus uh, for around three years when he came. He was the pastor at the church there. Imagine being in the church where Paul was the pastor. Do you know, I think some people in here would rather I was the pastor than Paul. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because I'm too nice. I'm too nice a person, right? God doesn't let us away with anything. Let me say that. God doesn't let us away with half of the things that go on in church life. And I'm aware, I'm aware that I could actually just step onto a soapbox here and get started. So I'm back off of it, okay? <laughs> Paul wouldn't miss you and hit the wall. I sometimes do. And I'm aware of that. Paul would not miss you and hit the wall. We would know in no uncertain terms the things that we need to sort out. Paul, it says, performed extraordinary miracles in Ephesus. Not just miracles, extraordinary miracles. We read about an incredible move of God that resulted in people renouncing paganism and witchcraft. If you read this in Acts, it talks about people coming and burning their books, their witchcraft books, burning them, worth thousands and thousands of pounds in our days money. And they came and they burned them. And people were coming to know Jesus and they were renouncing old ways of worship. And because of that, it started affecting trade in the town. I don't know if I'm going off my notes here or not. It started affecting trade. The businessmen who made idols, uh, which were sold to people who were worshipping this goddess called Artemis, their trade started to get impacted by the fact that people were becoming Christians. And therefore, uh, a man called Demetrius, I think it is, he started a riot. He started a riot in the town and began to come against the Christians. 
And uh, Paul was all ready to kind of wade in and, and, and get stuck in, but people stopped him. Um, but it was just an incredible thing that happened. And, and, you know, there's something about the church, I think, we don't really want to be people who are starting riots. We don't want people who are going looking for confrontation and conflict. We're not going looking for persecution. But actually, sometimes when we stand up for what we say we believe in, then it will create a backlash because people do not like to be challenged that they're wrong. Do, do you like it when people say, actually, you've got that wrong? I don't like it. It happens all the time, by the way. I get it wrong. And when people, people are invited, at, you know, it's an open invitation. Don't all come at the one time. But if I've got it wrong, come and tell me and I'll change it. Maybe it was the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I don't know. That was that was that was the cue for the appeal, right? Have to stop to make the appeal, okay? Um, sometimes we get it wrong. People don't like being told they're wrong. People who are in sin and sinning, and you come and say that's sin, they're not going to like it. It's just, I mean, it just it makes so much sense to me. Uh, that people are going to react when we stand up for what we believe in, and they'll not react in the way that you want them to. And uh, we read uh, about Paul's farewell to the Ephesian elders, uh, and, and it was just such an emotional farewell. They're down on the beach, and Paul's leaving this church, which he's been part of for all these years, and they're standing there, and there's tears flowing down their face as they realize the Ephesian elders are saying, we're never going to see Paul again. We're never going to meet him again. This is our last, this is our final farewell. And so it's such an emotional time. Paul was an integral part of this church coming into being. Timothy also was a leader in this church. Did you know that? Timothy led the church for a season as well. And some of the issues that he had to deal with in the church were false teachers people who promoted fables and endless genealogies, old wives' tales. And they encouraged the believers to do things like abstaining from marriage and abstaining from certain foods. And all this stuff was coming into the church which wasn't part of God's design. God designed marriage between a man and a woman. That's God's design. It's God's design for family that a man and a woman come together and little children appear. God, the creator God, has endowed us with the, the ability to create life. That's an incredible thought. And this is God's design for the church. And there were people who were saying, no, you can't do that. You, you know, if you want to be really spiritual, you know, you need, to be, you need to be separate, you need to be single, all this kind of stuff. Abstaining from certain foods. That doesn't sound like a good one to me. Eh? especially if it was steak pie. <laughs> and so there was all sorts of strange ideas floating around in the church back then. You would never find strange ideas floating in the church today, would you? <laughs> but here's the thing, and, and this was an interesting thought. I, I read something, maybe not the week that's been, but the week before. A man called Timothy Keller, I, I referred to one of his books before, and he tweeted something, and it really made me think. Uh, and and it was, I, can't, I, I tried to find it to quote it, but I can't find it because uh, he tweets like a gazillion tweets a day. Um, but it was along the lines of uh, 
we should never make our preference a moral obligation for other people. It was just such an interesting thought. I found it really challenging. The thing that I think Christianity should be about and things which I think are important, um, if they're based on the Bible, then that's fine. But there are, we all have different kind of slants on things. And sometimes we can make our preference a moral obligation for other people. And we can then begin to judge other people because they're not doing the thing that we do. My goodness gracious me, what a place to be in if that's where we're at. Where we're judging other people in the church that is his bride, that is by his design, that he is building, that he is sustaining, that he is giving life to. And we're part of that church. If we believe in Jesus, we're part of that church. And we realize things will come to in the message today. What was the atmosphere? So we've talked about the author, the audience, uh, uh, and now the atmosphere. What was Paul, what was the context of what they were speaking into here? And to read, uh, to, to, to get that, you need to go into Acts and read about the church. You read about a culture and a community steeped in paganism and the worship of the goddess Artemis. And by the way, if you use the King James Version, it calls her Diana, okay? New King James Version also uses Diana. Diana is the kind of Roman version of the same goddess, just so that you're aware. Artemis is the, the Greek version of the same goddess. And so that's probably where that comes in. But they're steeped in idolatry. They're steeped in uh, worship of this goddess. And uh, it says in Acts 19, that during the riot, the town clerk, the guy who stands up and tries to bring calm at this riot, he says uh, that he quieted the crowd and says, men of Ephesus, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image which fell from heaven? There's a strange one, eh? And so they built this temple. These are the ruins of the temple. Incredible that anything would stand 2,000 years later. Um, But the riot was based on the trade around this temple worship of this goddess. People were turning away from paganism. They were turning away from idolatry and turning towards faith in Jesus Christ. And this is what it says in Acts 19. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation, two different passages. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. That's the New Living Translation. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had powerful effect. Acts 19, verses 23 to 26. About that time, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way, which is what it was called before it was Christianity. It's a capital W in the, t- in the, the Bible here. It began with Demetrius, a silversmith, who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek goddess Artemis. He kept many craftsmen busy. He called them together along with others employed in similar trades and addressed them as follows. Gentlemen, You know that our wealth comes from this business. But as you have seen and heard, this man Paul has persuaded many people that handmade gods aren't really gods at all. Wake up and smell the coffee. He got it right. And he's done this not only here in Ephesus, 
but through the entire province of Asia. We kind of think in our day and in our generation, the things that we're hearing and seeing are quite unique to us. Isn't the world a terrible place? What's happening in the UK? What's all this stuff about that we hear in the news? What's happening to our parliament? What's happening to our government? What's happening to our politicians? What's happening to our, our culture and our society? We're losing our way. We're losing track of who God is, and we're becoming an increasingly secular country. And we think we're the only ones who have ever experienced it. This is the context in which the message of the gospel, gospel went into. And if anything, it tells me that if we want to see change in our culture, in our society, we need to be salt and light in our community. We need to be taking this good news, this message to the people who need to hear it. If the light shines in the darkness, the darkness disappears. It's a, it's a natural principle, but it's also a spiritual principle. We must let our light shine as Christians, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we need to begin to find ways to speak into and engage with our culture in a way that brings change. And so, we're going to read some verses from Ephesians. In fact, I'm going to read the first three chapters, okay? So, sit back and relax, but don't relax too much, because I've seen what happens when some of you relax too much, okay? I'm going to read uh, through these verses. The first three chapters are really about who we are and who we should be in Christ and what He has done for us. And so let's read from Ephesians chapter 1. I'm reading from the New International Version. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Spiritual blessings in Christ, it talks about this next bit. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of His grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In Him we are also chosen to have in conformity with the purpose of His will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of His glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in Him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. Hit the pause button for a second. When I was trying to think about how do you know somebody's a Christian? Because people can say they're Christians, but they don't act like Christians. And you go, hmm, 
Maybe they're not. How do we know? It says here really, really clearly, the mark of a Christian is having the Holy Spirit inside. That's what marks us as Christians. That's what marks us as His. He is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. And for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The battle's not finished yet. The story's not over. We need to allow God to bring that power up within us. You see, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them, at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest of men, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved." And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision, that is uh, done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you, who once were far away, have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier with that dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in His flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in Himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God 
through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building, talking about the church, is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in, in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Chapter 3. Are you still with me? Just checking. I might carry on and read 4, 5, and 6 if you're with me, but no, I'm only kidding. We'll just stop at 3 just now. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations as it is now, being revealed by the Spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promises of Christ. That's the mystery which the prophets longed to get the answer to. And here we are, we have the answer that we are included, we're sharers in this incredible message of salvation. Not only God's chosen people, the Israelites, but all people who accept this incredible message, who believe in Christ. He goes on to say, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His mighty power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, here it comes, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to His eternal purpose which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Him and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. That's just incredible. Us sinners saved by grace can come in prayer and approach a holy God through Christ who has accomplished all this on our behalfs. Not of works, we can't boast about it. None of us has any scope for boasting. It's not about us, it's about Him and about what He has done. Let me read verse 12 again. In Him and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. We can come into the very throne room of God through prayer, and yet we stand back and we don't do it. We call the church to prayer, and a short number, a small number of people come and pray. That's not to say that people aren't praying, but God is looking for more from His church. 
We have this access through what Christ has done for us, through the Spirit living in us, who intercedes on our behalf when we don't know what to pray, with sighs and groans that we can't even articulate. We can't come and say, I don't know how to pray. We can't say it. Also, Paul wouldn't miss you. Excuse to say that. I said the Apostle Paul wouldn't miss you. Well, today, I'm not missing you. The church needs to rise up and begin to pray. If we don't pray, we'll be dealing with the stuff that's happening out there in 20 years' time. And the church will become weaker and weaker and weaker as we let all sorts of things into the church to infiltrate our thinking, culture coming into the church, rather than us being out there dictating what the culture should be. Do you believe this today? I'm sorry for getting emotional because I believe it. And I want other people to believe it. I want the church to rise up. I want the, me, I am the church, to rise up and be all that God has called me to be. Us to rise up as the church and be all that God has called us to be. Not falling short. The enemy wants to get in and steal, kill and destroy. We've had a terrible week in the life of the church. It's been terrible. It's been distressing. We've had to pray about people and situations and things that have been going on. Man, sometimes we just need to learn that we've been given the tools. We need to pick them up and use them. We need to be filled with the Spirit. We need to do this in my own strength. Do it in our own strength. I can't. I can't do any of this in my own strength. There's something about the Holy Spirit working in somebody who is totally surrendered that accomplishes great things. And we see God's kingdom being promoted. We see the church being built. We see people who are lost being found. We see people who are bound in sickness and all sorts of things that the enemy would throw at them being set free. But the church needs to rise up and be what God is calling it to be. These people in this time had to deal with some horrendous stuff that was going on in their culture. And when they stood out against it, people knew that they were different. Do people know that we're different in the church today? Do people know that we're different in the church today? Or do we just look like everybody else? We need to be different. To the saints. Chapter 1 there, it talked about to the saints. The saints are people who are called out to be different, to be separate, to be different from the society in which they live. We're called to be different. can't remember where it was in my reading now. Thank you. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. And then Paul begins this prayer for the Ephesians. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of 
of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. To him be the glory, not us. This isn't the Stevie show than our neighbours. The Whitburn Pentecostal Church show. We are not better than our neighbours. We need to pray for the other churches in the town. We need to pray for leaders. We need to pray for our politicians. We need to pray for each other. We need to feel each other's pain. Sometimes I don't think we feel each other's pain. And I get that because sometimes our own pain stops us from feeling other people's pain. Okay, I get that. But God is calling the church to be something that's different in this world a vehicle, a mechanism through which the Holy Spirit can reach out into this community and to the communities that surround us and do something that He will get the glory for. What does it say here? Let me go back to it. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to His power that is at work within us. Do we believe that God is able to do more than we could ever ask or imagine? Or do we just sit here and we, we sit and we pray our prayers and you think, Lord, can you please, can you please really uh, heal Angie? But if it's your will, then you know, we'll understand. Or do we actually believe that God can do something? Do we believe in a God who performs miracles? Because the Bible tells me that there's a God in heaven who's able to do the impossible. What does it say? The Bible says, with man these things are impossible, but with God all things are possible. All things. Not some things. All things are possible. It's time for the church to be different. It's time for this church to be different. It's time for us to take the things the petty stuff, and put it to the side once and for all and say, we are going to be a church that allows the Holy Spirit to have His way, that allows sin to be dealt with in our life through confession and getting rid of the stuff. The Bible talks about the sin that so easily entangles us, Paul included. He wasn't setting himself up above other people. He talked about the sin which so easily entangles you, me, other Christians, across the world today. It's time for the church to put these things aside. It's time for the church to be focused on who God wants it to be. It's time for us to stand up and play our part. It's time for us to come together and to pray and to pray believing in a God who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within us. It's time... We've talked about it for years. We've sung the songs, right? I don't want to talk about it any longer. I don't want to sing the songs any longer. I want us to step into the future that God has for us, and that starts today. That starts today. Are we going to step into that future that God has for us? Are you going to be the person that God calls you to be? This is the day. This is the day where we decide whether or not we're going to be distracted by all that stuff, distracted by all the good stuff, 
right, whatever that good stuff is for you, or are we going to come and we say, this is the day, God, this is the day where I turn my life around to you. This is the day where I commit myself to praying for this church, to praying for the people who are in need, to pray for our leaders in the church, to pray for the leaders in our society, and to get behind what God is wanting to do in this place. This is the day. This is the day you make a choice, okay? This is the day. I don't think I have a choice. I don't have a plan B. Sometimes when I'm having a difficult work week, I can sometimes think about the plan B. What's the plan B? The plan B is to hit the exit button. Yeah? Because leading church can be a bit of a hardship at times. Sometimes plan B is to hit the exit button. But I don't have a plan B because God hasn't given me a plan B. God's called me here to be a leader in this church for this time through thick and thin, through the difficult weeks and the weeks where we're all praising and we're joyful, through all of these different weeks, all these different seasons and times, to be consistent, to be who God has called us to be. You and I, it's about us making that choice together. Will you make today that day? If you do, then I'm going to ask that you stand and we pray. I'm not going to invite the band up just now, just I'm going to ask us say, here I am, send me. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's my prayer today. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Father, we pray for this congregation. Lord, I love this congregation. I love the people in this congregation. And Father, we know that the enemy wants to bring us down. The enemy wants to stop us before we've even started. The enemy wants to sow discord and division and misunderstanding. But Father, this is your church. You have called this church into being. Father, you brought this church to be. And it's yours and we give it to you. We don't take it for ourselves. We don't take glory for ourselves. But Father, we give this church to you to accomplish your purposes through it. Father, this is your church. It's your time. But Father, we are responding to that today. And we're saying, here am I. Send me. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And Father, we pray for this church, that you begin to do a new thing in this church. Father, the things which we've been praying for for years, Lord, we pray that you would bring us to breakthrough moments where we see those things come to pass. Father, where your Spirit comes in and does what only your Spirit can do. We cannot manufacture these things on our own, Father. We can't do it. But we come to a God who can. Father, with man these things are impossible, but with you all things are possible. Father, you're able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. And so, Father, we pray that we would see that evidenced in our day and in our generation. And Father, we pray for our neighbors, those who are upset with us because we park in the wrong places. Lord, we pray, give us an opportunity to speak to them and to be a witness to them and to share love with them. Father, the people that we meet in our streets, in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools, our universities. Father, help us to be the expression of love, the expression of the Father to those people. And Father, we pray that many people would begin to see and hear and understand and that many would turn to you. Father, we pray that you take this church to a new level in every dimension of church life. Father, whether it's the food bank, another outreach, whether it's Sunday services, 
kids, youth, adults, whatever it is, Father, we pray that you take this church to a new level in the things which you're calling us to. Father, we pray, bring us to those breakthrough moments. And Lord, we pray for leaders in this church, Lord, that you would lead the leaders. And Father, that leaders would have the sensitivity to really hear what you're saying and that you would lead us into your plans and purposes. Father, we pray over everyone who leads in any capacity in this church. Lord, the enemy will try to uh, get in between us and to, to sow discord. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to recognize, as Paul talks about to the Ephesian church, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And so, Father, help us to recognize the enemy's tactics when we see it, to pray and to submit ourselves humbly to one another. And Lord, we pray that you move upon us. Lord, that you would do a new thing in this fellowship, we ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Musicians, come back up. We're going to sing, we're going to pray, we're going to praise, we're going to lift up the name of Jesus in this place. We're going to give tithes and offerings, and we're going to really worship our incredible God this morning. So let's really go for it.